Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to a special bonus edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm very excited to introduce today's guest. She is a goalkeeper for Napoli Femminile. Kelly Cavaro, welcome to Forza Napoli. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. We have a lot to cover both on and off the pitch, but I want to start from the beginning. I imagine you worked your way through the Canadian soccer system, which typically starts from a very young age. At what point did you decide that you wanted to be a goalkeeper and why did you choose that position over any other one? This is actually a pretty funny story. So you know how on most youth teams, when you're you know much younger, you kind of rotate who the goalkeeper is because no one really wants to be a goalkeeper. So everyone does a half. And so it came up and it was my turn to go. And I remember it was like at this tournament and I was in goal and it was a penalty kick. And I remember literally just closing my eyes and picking a side and stopping the penalty. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, and so literally from that moment, like we didn't have to pick goalkeepers. I always wanted to be in goal. And it was this thing when I was younger where I would literally just close my eyes and pick a side and would stop it. And I would just literally just for the penalty saves, I would love it. And that's when I decided I was like seven or eight or maybe, yeah, between seven and nine. I was like, this is what I, this is the position for me. That's too funny. I know exactly what you're talking about. My experience was actually the opposite. I, I was probably five or six. I, I think I let in five goals. I almost cried. I, I vividly remember hating that experience. <laughs> I ended up not playing in goal, but that's really, really funny. Of course, you now play for Napoli in goal. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously this worked out really well. I want to talk about the path you took to get to Napoli. You started out playing for the Colgate Raiders in the NCAA in the U.S., and then you played for Emek Heifer in Israel. 
what was that process like and how did that shape you as a player? Um, so I would say my career at Colgate was a pretty, you know, smooth career. You know, I was a starter for four years. I came in because the starting goalkeeper at Colgate got injured and couldn't play anymore. And so they were looking for a goalie and I ended up taking that starting position and, you know, just keeping it throughout my four years. And it was, I would say my last year that I realized that I really wanted something more like more, a more professional environment a more, you know, better staff and you just somewhere where I could develop more. I would say for me, my biggest thing about Colgate that not that I regret going, but that was kind of a problem for me was that we didn't have a goalkeeper coach for four years. Um, and it was something that I thought about a lot at some point about like, is this the, pl- the right place for me? Because, you know, when I was younger, one of my you know strong aspects was always my technique because I had such good coaches growing up and I really had a good technique, but not having a goalkeeper coach for four years, you know, you kind of like lose, you know, those little details in that technique and you can't, I mean, there was no way for me to improve as a goalkeeper because us goalkeepers were left entirely on our own. And, you know, there were times where I would message my, goalkeeper coach Jean-Louis Gosselin at home and I was like hey can you send me like stuff that I can do with these two other goalies because you know we're left on our own for 45-50 minutes a day and you know I'm I don't want to make up my own practice like yes I have but I, I'm I need inspiration and I need help and so for me like that was something that I really wanted more like I needed a good goalkeeper coach I needed you know to improve and I knew that I was kind of on a plateau where I wasn't getting better I was doing well but I wasn't getting better and that was something that was bothering me and so one of the first things that I was looking for in a team was, you know, a team that has a goalkeeper coach. And that was one of the first questions that I asked when I was in contact with the, you know, the owner of Emek Heffer. It was clear to him that there had to be a goalkeeper coach for me to come. And there was a goalkeeper coach and I absolutely love him. He was, you know, one of the reasons that I injured my season so much. Um, he was super cool and, you know, very good. And we got to work on the things that I had been lacking because I didn't have a, a coach prior and so obviously that was a huge aspect to like my professional development because I needed that. But I would say that when I got to Israel, not that there was conflict between the coach and I, but I would say we had very different values, um, very different opinions. And I thought the way that, you know, some things were dealt with um, weren't necessarily appropriate. And so I didn't get as much playing time as, um, you know, I deserved or that I, you know, was performing for and training for, but I still got, you know, a decent amount of games. And the whole time when I was there, I was like, you know what, like your end goal, or I mean, your goal is to go to Europe. So this is kind of a transition and this is a way to really develop and get better and get all of these little technical details back so that you come into Europe and you're already better. Um, And so that was huge for me, like that I had the opportunity to be with a goalkeeper coach and train a lot. Like we would often, even though we had training at night, he would text us during the day and be like, Hey guys, do you guys want to come earlier or come during the day? Like I have free time. Let's, you know, go to the field and train. And so that was awesome. And like definitely helped me prepare for, you know, the season here. Yeah. I think it's not uncommon for footballers to have to take a step at another club to get to their ultimate goal. And I don't know necessarily that Napoli is your ultimate goal, but it's definitely a place that you wanted to play at. You tweeted when the club announced your signing that, it was a dream of yours to play in Italy. So what was it about Italy specifically that made you want to play there? I mean, not only is my family from Italy, but it's a league that, you know, I have my passport, I have my Italian passport. So my whole life, there's been this like interest for, you know, getting a call for the national and playing for this national team and um, representing Italy, not only because my family, see, that's a huge aspect. Like 
my dad's side of the family is from Italy and I have a very Italian family. Like my grandparents and my grandmother only spoke English and her household was like a classic Italian household. Like it was amazing. And so that idea was always attractive to me, but you know, I kind of grew up watching the men's Italian national team, um, you know, at the world cup at the Euros and all of that. And I ended up in college watching a lot more of the the women's team also. And I would, you know, I got to know the players not personally, but obviously by watching them and then getting to know how they play and who was getting called up. And then I would say towards my senior year and a lot of last year, I watched almost all of the games. And, you know, I realized that this was a a league that was really growing and really performing because a lot of the time when I was younger, you think of the women's league here and it was like, oh, they don't have money. They don't have this. They don't have that. But now that's not the case anymore. Now they're investing in the women's and the league is really growing. The national team is doing better and better every year. And it, to me, it's like super important. I mean, I feel pride in knowing that I'm in a league that is only going to go up for, from here. And like, I hope I get the chance to help it, you know, and be part of this, this new league and this new time for women's soccer in Italy. We're going to talk a little bit about that later with the investment that's being made in the game and, and also some of these big name players that you're now getting to see with your own eyes live. Um, yeah. But in terms of the city itself, the, the club announced their signing, I believe, on the 12th. You recently spoke to our friends at the Culture Guys, and you mentioned that you didn't really get to Italy until, I think, late July. Then you went straight into summer retreat, the Rivizondoli. That was the first two weeks of August. Back mm-hmm. into training, the season starts at the end of August. So I'm curious to know, if, have you had an opportunity to explore the city at all, either maybe on your days off or on the recent international break? Uh, yeah, so we've been to Napoli a few times, you know, besides the occasional trip to the train station and things like that. So we, I think, I would say I've been four or five times so far just for a day trip or just to get dinner in Napoli. Or we, you know, had to go to a sponsor event with the team and that allowed us to see different parts of Napoli. Um, and we had, how can I say this, like a, a team presentation in Napoli and all of these things. So we got the opportunity to go. But when we had the international break or we had like a four-day weekend, I actually took some of that time with some of my teammates and we went to Rome because, you know, we can make the trip to Napoli. We're about 20 minutes away and it's an easy drive. Whereas whenever we had two, three days, you know, we got a hotel in Rome and got to explore that. But we were talking about this recently where, you know, we saw most of the things in Rome, but now it's really time to explore all of Napoli and really see all of these like amazing things about the city. But I would say that like yesterday, for example, you know, we went to the beach in Napoli and we go most of the time when we go to Napoli right now, it's been for the beach because the weather has been so nice. Yeah, for sure. And there's a lot to take in. So I think it's probably going to take you the entire season to really uh, get around and explore and and absorb that culture. Um, You mentioned going with some of your teammates to Rome. This summer was, was one of rebuilding for the club. It's almost an entirely rebuilt squad. President Lalo Carlino mm-hmm. said that before the season, he wanted to focus on youth. And then the sporting director, uh, Nicola Crisano, went to work and replaced all but four players. Paolo Di Marino, uh, Eleonora Goldoni, Depichatsi Nicolao, and Evi Popadinova are the only four players that have stuck around from last season. That's a lot of change. But judging by some of these posts, including the ones you mentioned about going to Rome, it seems like everyone's mm-hmm. getting along really, really well. So how's that been like? It's been really cool, honestly. I didn't think that the team would be so close so quickly. But, I mean, it happened, I think, at the camp in Rivizondoli because we spent so much time together, so much you know, we were put in an environment where we had to be together all the time for all the meals, for all the training, for quite literally everything. And 
that really helped. Another, you know, good aspect of this club is that they, most of us are all living in this building. And it's really nice because, you know, yes, I have a roommate and we have our own apartment, but I go down the hallway and there's two other apartments and then we have three full floors. So, you know, there's nine apartments of only us here. And so that's really awesome to be able to be together all the time. And, you know, we do Monday uh, brunch or we do all of these things that are like just to be together. And a lot of the time, let's say we're someone's alone or this weekend, a lot of the girls went home, for instance, because we played up north and a lot of them are from the north. So they all went home. But the ones who stayed over, like, you know, yesterday we went to the beach together and we tried to hang out together and we tried to help each other out with rides somewhere and things like that. So it's uh, been really nice. And I think it's also shown on the field because there's this team work and this, you know, just team spirit that is really like getting more and more important. And I think that's going to just keep developing over time. Yeah. I guess the nice thing compared to, someone who might go away for work in, in any other profession is that you have this team of people that you're with every day. So it's easier to form those, those friendships versus, you know, I don't know, uh, someone who goes to, to open a business, which probably doesn't happen that much in Napoli, unfortunately, but uh, you know, it's, you're meeting all new people. <laughs> whereas with a team, at least you have that, that core group. I, I want to ask you about one specific relationship, which is with the other goalkeeper. How's your relationship with Yolanda Aguirre? Uh, I've always been someone who is close with the goalkeepers that, you know, I am with and that I work with and that I compete against. And I would say it's the exact same with uh, Yolanda, which we call Yoli. But obviously I have a tighter group of friends here and she's definitely part of that. Like we hang out with the same people. And I think it's a really healthy relationship because when you're in a, a competition with someone, you know, for the same position like ours where, you know, it's only one goalkeeper that plays where it's not like, you know, a field player where you can get subbed in. No, usually, you know, you start and you finish the game and you usually keep your goalkeeper, your starting goalkeeper until something happens. And it's a really healthy relationship because if we weren't on good terms, I think it would be hostile and it would be, you know, frustrating and there would be these negative um, emotions or just this anger. And there's no place for that. There's no time for that in, you know, in my position, I don't want to be focusing on, you know, these negative feelings that I have towards someone I'm competing against, whereas I would rather have all of, you know, my headspace to be focusing on what I need to be doing in my training and not worrying about that. So I think me and Yoli have a really healthy relationship where, you know, we're pushing each other. We know like we're right there, we're right next to each other. You know, we're both competing hard and we obviously care for each other. So if, you know, she's injured or I have, you know, something bothering me, like we're there for each other and we try to Obviously, it's going to happen that we have bad days because it's impossible to be 100% every single practice every day, you know, of the year. And, you know, when we know we're having these bad days, you know, we're trying to motivate each other and, you know, be there for each other and be like, hey, you got this, you got the next one, like the next ball is yours. And so it's really cool. And I'm super grateful to have Yoli and for her to feel the same way that I do, like to have for her to be okay with, you know, competing with another goalkeeper and having a friendship also outside of the field. She's a great person. And you know, it's been awesome to get to know her and learn about her past, you know, experiences on different teams and things like that. So it's a great friendship and it's just a very healthy, competitive environment. That's great to hear. It was something I was curious to know about because players who play the same position tend to hang out more, even if it's just on the pitch. But as you noted, with the goalkeeping exactly. position, there's, there's only one starter, right? And you're competing for time. So it's great to hear that not only are you supportive of each other, but you're actually helping each other improve. Exactly. And we're put in an environment where, you know, like you just said, we are together all the time. Like if we are lifting with the team, we're often in the same group, the goalkeepers. And, 
you know, we have to coordinate the colors of the uniform and we have, you know, we're usually apart from the team and being a goalkeeper is a very solitary position. And so having someone to do that with and to be on good terms with definitely helps. Absolutely. So let's talk about the season so far. You started with two very difficult matches, first against Inter and then uh, against Roma. Let's start with the Inter game. What did you make of that performance? So Inter was, I mean, our first game of the season. We knew that they were going to be a really tough team this year. And, you know, from, you know, the sidelines, I was really, really impressed with Inter and how they, they were just so fast and they, they did really well, you know. And for us, we had a couple exhibition games, but I think we were missing a, a few more about like with a higher quality team. And so this was really the first test. And we had some really good things and we had some bad things, but it was the first game. So we were able to really put those two things aside and realize, you know, this is what we need to work on. This is what we did well. We also had to be realistic that, you know, they came and they were a very good team. And I wouldn't say it was easy for us to see that, but we were able to just take a step back and, you know, recognize where we need to go from here. Yeah, they definitely looked really good. We talked about some of the bigger name players earlier. I mean, that front three of uh, Pandini, Portales, and Marinelli was insane that game. And I thought the difference, at least in the first half, was that they took their chances. And unfortunately, Napoli didn't. I mean, you guys created chances. Um, And then it seemed like, and then, yeah, and then it seemed in the second half like you guys just ran out of gas a little bit. But as you said, I mean, when you have that many new players, there's a lot going on. And even for our first game, we've had some injuries during the preseason camp and we still have these players who are injured or who are slowly coming back. And our starting lineup has changed in the, you know, the first four games and it's still continuing to change. And, you know, we have to keep in mind that we didn't have the same lineup that we do now. We didn't have the same formation. Like there's all these little things to take into account. And and when it was the first game and like, like we said, we had a, we have a hard start of the season and, I'm excited to see like what we can do when we play them again in the second round. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, with, with that many different players, Pistolesi is going to have to tweak and, and figure out, you know, what, what works best. And then, you know, factoring in the injuries that you mentioned, things didn't get too much better uh, in the second match, which was against Roma. In fact, they may have gotten even harder because Roma is one of the best teams in the league. I mean, they're the current Coppa Italia champions. They won that match four to one. How did you feel about that one? The Rome game was interesting. We had a lot of hard feelings towards it. We kind of still do because, you know, we got scored on three, four goals in the span of three minutes. It was something that we had never, you know, I had never experienced that before. And then a lot of the girls didn't either. So that was really hard going into halftime and getting scored so many goals in such a short period of time. It's basically unseen. And, you know, from there, it's hard to move forward and, do better so that was really tough um we've had after that game we had a lot of you know meetings and tried to figure out what went wrong and what we need to do better and what can't happen again and you know just little tweaking little things that we didn't like the staff didn't like you know we had a big meeting where everyone kind of acknowledged their responsibility for their actions and the staff was like look we did things we did certain mistakes you guys did certain mistakes like from now on like we're just going to fix everything and start fresh but, you know, Rome was a great team. Like, I was so impressed when I saw them play. And But it doesn't – it's not a, a reason, you know. Like, we have a very talented team. And when we played them in the exhibition game, like, of course, it's exhibition, but they had all of their players, and it was a very different game. And so I think we just – once we got scored so many goals back-to-back, the team kind of got down. And, you know, it was hard mentally to move forward. 
I agree. I mean, there were errors, but to their credit, some of the finishing, yeah, I think, you know, Serturini and, and Bartoli's goals, yeah. I mean, you would know as a keeper that sometimes a shot's just not stoppable, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there could be mistakes everywhere on the field, and it's normal to make mistakes, but they really capitalized on our mistakes and took advantage of those opportunities, and that really, you know, made the difference in the game. I have to ask you though, as as a keeper, do you think Andresa meant to score that goal? Was that a shot or or maybe a a cross shot that just happened to hit the you target? Know, we watched that goal a lot, and a lot of my teammates, you know, have friends with girls from Rome, and you know, they all said that girl is just honestly very talented. She has this talent that is unbelievable, and she could make that a shot. But we watched the clip so many times, you know, with the other goalie, with the team, with the staff, and I still am not sure. Like, I mean. If that's a shot and she actually meant to, you know, intended to curve it in that way, like hats off to you. But yeah, I guess we'll never know. Yeah, well, maybe we can get her on one day and ask her. But I mean, she's also Brazilian and they have a <laughs> flair for for the difficult sort of technique. So maybe we'll give her the benefit of the doubt on that one. But I did exactly. think, I, I still think, though, despite the result, there were some silver linings in that match. I mean, Goldoni scored the first goal of the season. She's wearing the captain's armband now, so that was great to see. And I thought some of the the players that came off the bench played really well. Uh, Di Marino and Chatsi Nicolau. Unfortunately, she, you know, Depi now got hurt, so we'll see when when she gets back. But you mentioned yeah. that you know the time you guys spent reviewing the footage and and correcting the errors that seemed to work because in the third match of the season, you got your first win, which was against Fiorentina. Uh, Ariana Acuti scored the late winner in that game. So obviously that was a huge result. We saw the celebrations on the field after the final whistle. Uh, what did you make of that match? And, and what did you think you guys did differently in that one compared to the first two? I think, you know, the mental aspect of the game really was much better. Like I said, we had, you know, meetings and we met together and we spoke a lot about the, you know, what went wrong at Rome and, how we can be better. And I think, you know, we came confident. It was like, you know, a clean slate. We start fresh, you know, next week is a new game. We know what we need to do. We need those three points because they were also at the bottom of the standings. Obviously we had only played two games, but you know, it still matters. You want to make sure the teams who are below you stay below you, especially because now there's three teams getting relegated. So we knew it was a big game. We knew they were a big team. Like in the past, they've done very well. And they have, you know, those players who are on the national team and they have Sabatino and all of these great players. And I think we just came out stronger. You know, the way I perceived it, we were a team. We were There was cohesion, there was teamwork, and we defended really well. We were playing, you know, defending all together. Everyone, you could tell that we really believed that we could win. And I think this is something I brought up with the team as well. It's it's not enough if if not, you know, the whole team needs to believe that we can win. If one girl doesn't believe it in it, then we're, it's not going to work out. Like, we need to all be on the same page. We all need to believe that, you know, we got this game. We have the abilities to win. And I think that game, that's really what happened. We Everyone was working so hard on the field, and you could really tell that, you know, even for the players coming in, they couldn't come in and, you know, let the level drop. They had to come in and get the same level or even higher than the players who were on the field. And it was just a great team effort, and it ended up paying off. Yeah, I was a little worried early on because Fiorentina were creating the chances. But, I mean, you mentioned you guys defended well and then the momentum seemed to switch a little bit and and Napoli started creating all the chances. I thought the second half was fairly even until the goal. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there was the dramatic ending with uh, Fiorentina getting a a penalty in the the dying minutes. Fortunately, Piemonte hit the upright there. But I want to know, again, being a goalkeeper, 
how do you prepare for a penalty kick and, and how do you approach, you know, what's your, your approach to the, the process or, or even in the moment, you know, do you go through sort of a, a mental sequence of, of how you want to deal with that penalty? I, I'm sure it's probably different than uh, when you were five or six. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like when I was younger, there was no thought process. It was just close your eyes, pick a side, hope for the best. But no, I mean, through time, you know, I've learned that everything about being a goalkeeper is, you know, mental and confidence. And, you know, you go in, if there's a penalty kick or even in a shootout and you're not confident, there's no chance that you're going to be performing well. And, you know, the players can feel that. You can tell when a goalkeeper is nervous. Even I, whenever I'm, you know, in a penalty shootout and I see the other goalkeeper, you know, if I know she's nervous, like I know, hey, like we got, you know, a little bit of an up on this because this girl's not ready and she's super nervous. But I always try to be as confident as possible. You know, I've done well in the past on, on penalty kicks. I've, you know, made the saves. And it's really about trusting your instincts. And, you know, there's always these little cues, you know, if she's looking right at you, is she looking at a spot at the goal? Is she picking up? You can like pick up all of these little cues. But at the end of the day, you know, you got to trust your instincts. And, you just got to go for it because if, you know, you're doing a half dive, you're never going to get there because they're going all out most of the time. And so I think just being confident and just going for it. And, you know, it's important because, you know, like Yolanda in this situation, we had just scored a goal. There was a few minutes left of the game. You know, they tie that, they tie right there into a whole different game, you know? So, you know, the girl hit the post, the player hit the post, but, you know, she had a good presence, Yolanda, and she made a good say, a good dive, I'm sorry. And, you know, just that, maybe threw the, the player off knowing like, you know, Yoli picked the, the right side too. Yeah. I was going to say that she guessed the the right side. So yeah. if that ball is on target, maybe she makes the save anyways. I mean, it, it would have had to be a perfect shot. Let's talk about this weekend's match against Hellas Verona. It finished in a nil nil draw. What did you see from the sidelines on this one? I guess it's a mixed emotions about this one. We, you know, needed the, not that we needed the win because a point is a point and we'll take the point. And, you know, there was still a good team effort, but um, I think we were expecting a better result. We had a lot of injuries, you know, our starting forwards, you know, a lot of them were missing with Evie not being able to play and, you know, Depi was off and, you know, there was different injuries. And so that I think had a little bit of an impact, but again, like all the players that were there, you know, are all quality players, obviously, and are great players. But um, I think we were missing a little bit offensively, in my opinion. You know, if you look at the highlights or even when you watch the game, you can tell that Verona had a few more, you know, quality opportunities on goal. But altogether, you know, like, Yoli came up with big saves. The defense did really well again. And uh, Verona really needed that point or those points. And so they were coming a lot at us because, you know, imagine that we were six points ahead of them and then it makes a bigger gap. So I think the girls, you know, were disappointed with the score because we really wanted to win this game and get the three points. But we have to take that one point and look at, you know, how we can improve and how we can create more chances uh, offensively. You know, obviously a, a win would have been a huge result. It's a team that you'll probably be competing with throughout the season, you know, for to stay up. It's a team that yeah. was a tough opponent last season that Napoli competed with throughout the season to stay up as well. And fortunately, both teams did stay up. Pistolesi did say before the match that this one is kind of worth double for that reason. I thought, yeah, obviously you want to win, but a draw was a good result for the reasons you mentioned. You didn't really have a true striker in the starting 11. And it's away from home too. So to pick up that point away from home is not terrible. It felt like watching the match that the ball was in the middle third of the pitch most of the time. And, and it was, there were a lot of stoppages mm-hmm. with fouls and thrones, which 
to oh, left. Wow. <laughs> yeah, which you know that there kind was of just the okay. yeah yeah so that that disrupts the rhythm and the flow of the match right it makes it really hard to to get into anything with all of those stoppages right yeah um no definitely i mean all game the game was stopped and there was you know talks with the referees and yellow cards thrown left and right and even after the game we were talking in the locker room like who didn't get a yellow today yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned agire she made a couple of big saves and and probably a player of the match for me just because of those saves uh, there's i think one in each half she did go down a couple of times and thankfully she was okay both times uh, but i have to say i was hoping to see you get into this match i mean everyone wants to get in but you know you never like seeing anyone on the field go down because you never know you know if it's serious or not in the first half she was holding her knee and i know she's had some little issues with her knees lately uh well with her one knee lately and so, you know, it's always scary. And, you know, having had my fair share of knee injuries, it's always scary when someone goes down and grabs their knee because, you know, you never know what can happen. And those are such long injuries and long recoveries. But, you know, I'm always ready to go in. You know, I, I'm training for this and I'm just, you know, waiting for my opportunity. But I would never hope anything like that for Rioli. You know, you don't want to see any of your players get injured. No, absolutely. So yeah. with that result, you now have record of one win, one draw, and two losses, which is good enough for seventh in the table. That's a pretty good start to the season given those first two matches against tough teams. With Sedia becoming a professional league next season, the number of clubs will be reduced from 12 to 10, which means that three teams will be relegated instead of the usual two, I think it is. So what's your outlook and your expectations for the rest of the season? It's definitely a complicated situation, you know, when you add a team that gets relegated, there's always, you know, like Napoli, Napoli last year was right before the cutoff line for relegation. So there's always that in the back of our heads, like we need to make sure that, you know, we don't want to be in that situation where we're right at the bottom and we're fighting for just salvation and to stay. It's nice that right now, like we're kind of in the middle of the standings and, you know, there's a little bit of space to breathe. Um, but again, it's so early in the season, so many things can happen. And it's important that, you know, we get those points and we keep winning. So I think, you know, for all of us, I mean, it, we're no one ever plays to not get relegated, right? Like you always play to finish at the top and you always play to be one of the better teams. And I think this is what, you know, the mentality that we're going for this year. Like we want to perform, we want to do well. We know we have the talent and the hard work and we're doing everything we need to be doing. Of course, everyone in the back of their head is thinking about not being relegated. But I think the main focus this year is not about not getting relegated, but about you know, doing well and performing and being higher up in the standings. That's a great approach. It's a, you know, a winning mentality. It's if you play to win every match, then, you know, hopefully the results follow and, and that's not even an issue in the first place. That is a good segue though, to what we were talking about in, uh, regarding investment in clubs earlier on over the last few seasons, we've seen men's teams acquire the female sort of counterparts or, or get involved in the women's game and all of those clubs are doing really well. We've seen Juventus purchased Cuneo Calcio Femminile in 2017, and they've dominated the league ever since. Milan acquired Brescia Calcio Femminile in 2018. Brescia were already one of the top teams in the league, so it's no surprise that they're staying up in the top two, top three of the league. Roma acquired Res Roma in 2018 as well, and they've become a really strong team. They won the Coppa Italia last season, as we mentioned, which was their first trophy. If I'm not mistaken, Sassuolo were sponsored by their men's team in 2016, and then they earned promotion right away. And in 2019, the club was officially transferred to the men's team, and they just had their best season of the year last season, finishing in third. 
Inter in 2018 as well acquired the rights of ASD Femminile Inter Milano, and now they look very strong. So there seems to be a strong correlation between affiliation with the men's team and results. Napoli is one of the few teams in the league that is not affiliated with the men's team. Now, I think Carlino has done a phenomenal job with this team, and I'm not taking anything away from him. I think he's an amazing president. But do you think that not being affiliated with the men's team puts Napoli at a bit of a disadvantage? I think that's a really tough question just because, like you said, like the president, the staff, everybody has really done such a great job in getting the team where it needs to be. Obviously, being associated with Napoli, the men's team, the you know, with the funding that they have and the resources that they have, you always wonder like what more could it bring to the team, right? And like you just said, you look at all of these other big teams who have acquired women's team and how they've progressed and how that has helped them. So obviously there's always that question. And I think this is a question that has been brought up a lot this year because of the, about the league next year and how the, you know, what changes are going to be in place and how it's going to work. And, you know, sometimes you hear about how you have to have a men's team and a women's team if you want to be, you know, considered a professional team and things like that. But I'm not even sure how this is going to, you know, roll out and how this is going to be because, you know, we have two entirely different presidents and their relationship is up in the air. And, you know, it's a little bit confusing on what's going on. And there doesn't seem to be like there's absolutely no question as of right now that, you know, there's no talks of us going with the men's and it's really just two separate presidents. And he's, you know, put his whole life into this program and he obviously doesn't want to give that away. Um, And he has such pride and, you know, is such a strong fan and does everything for us. And he's such a great person. And so it's definitely a tough question because of course people are left wondering like, would it help the team? Would it help the club? Um, What resources would, you know, the players get and how would that impact us even as, you know, female football players? But I guess, you know, we're about to find out because sooner or later this is all going to, you know, play out and there might have to be changes. I guess it depends what, the rules are and what the situation is going to be. Well, hopefully that works out. I know while the teams like Juve, Milan, Roma, the ones I mentioned seem to be benefiting from that relationship. I don't think it's necessary to be successful in the league. I think we've seen that with the progression of, of this club. So my hope at least is that, you know, there doesn't need to be an affiliation with the men's team because I don't want this club to suffer as a result of that. I mentioned Serie A becoming a professional league. Well, we've been talking about that. So I want to close on that because I don't think that's a subject that's talked about enough. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you have to deal with, at least right now, with the league still being considered an amateur league? Uh, Yes, definitely. You know, I never really knew there was a difference being in the United States and, you know, not being familiar with the system. But hearing about it more and more, you know, in France and in Spain, even Spain, I think this year is their first year officially being a professional team or it's, you know, they're still working towards it. But to me, it's really like the resources that the women have, you know, I spoke about this in the past as well. Like you have clubs all around the world who don't really care for their women's players. You know, I have my best friend just got ACL surgery today, actually. And she was playing, you know, in another country and, she got injured and the club just dropped her. Like they're not paying her. They're not, you know, they didn't help her with the surgery. They were like, you know what? You got hurt. We need to get someone else, like figure it out on your own. And I feel like that would never happen on a men's team. That would never happen for any of the men in in all sports, you know? Um, And so just little things like that were like just, you know, medical care and funding and housing and all these little things that the men would never even think about having 
these issues with, those issues are still very present for all of women's players, you know, like basic necessities and basic, you know, you would think it's just common sense, but it just, we don't have those, those same rules, those same privileges that the men's do. And it's frustrating because, you know, even in the United States right now, the women are fighting for, you know, equal pay and for, you know, a bigger pay with the men's. And, you know, you compare, you know, the salaries that we make to the salaries that the men's make. It's not even, you can't even imagine that I would basically make more money, you know, working at home, I don't know, doing, doing something else. And it just shows like all of these women around the world are really doing it for their passion and love for the game. And they're getting barely anything. And it's difficult to get sponsors and, you know, all of these things. And, and so that's a a very difficult aspect, you know, just talking about like flights going home flights coming here you know these are things that you need to talk about in your contract and you need to figure out but does anyone really think that the men have any issues with that and there's absolutely no way you know just basic necessities like getting wi-fi and getting an apartment like sometimes you know the girls don't have you know there are teams like in israel some girls you know i was sharing a room with someone you know i'm 25 years old and i'm sharing a room with someone then you you wonder like would a club ever ask two guys on the same team to share a room. No, they wouldn't. So it's just little things like that that are frustrating. But, you know, we see the improvement. We see the funding that's coming in. There's a a players association here, you know, really looking out for the women in in Italy and for making sure they're getting paid and they have all their rights. And if they get injured, you know, everything's covered for and they get the help that they need. Um, If, you know, the girls want to study, like they're trying to like help people get university degrees at the same time, because it is a reality that, Yes, we're living off of soccer right now, but after soccer, what are we going to do? So they're really helping the girls, you know, be set up for a future, um, which is super exciting. And so this is one of the reasons why I really wanted to be in Italy, because you can tell that they're putting the time, the money, they're improving. Of course, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done across all women's sports, but it's exciting to be here and know that it's only going to get better from here. Like I said, I wanted to highlight some of the challenges because I, I'm doing my best to use this platform to bring awareness to to some of these things in the women's game, and I, I don't think there's enough coverage of it. But like you said, it definitely seems to be heading in the right direction, and that's sort of the positive I want to close on. You know, I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first season that one match per round is being broadcast live to air on La Sette. Um, I believe they, agreed, they have an agreement with the VGC and they're showing Coppa Italia matches as well. I think you can watch all of the Women's Champions League games on YouTube for free through the Zones uh, YouTube mm-hmm. channel, if I'm not mistaken. And then they have a multi-year plan on on how that will work, and hopefully that'll start to bring more revenue in. And then I think just last week, there was an announcement that UEFA doubled the prize money for the Women's Champions League. I think it went from $8 million to $16 million, and there's more more money being paid to clubs. So hopefully we'll, we'll continue to see that growth, right? Yeah. And exposure is a huge part of this. I remember when I was first trying to watch games here, I had to stream them online and it was so difficult. You could barely get any games. And, you know, in France, France is one of the biggest leagues for women's soccer. If you're not from France or from Europe and you want to watch a game, it is incredibly difficult to find a stream, to find a link, just to be able to watch these games. And you're talking about, you know, some of the best women's soccer players in the world and you can't even watch their games. And so... You know, having Italy right now in Syria, having deals with, you know, Tim Vision and Tim TV and all that and really showing the games on television and, you know, getting this broadcast, getting this exposure is really important because, you know, more and more people are going to start to watch. And, you know, you want people to watch because 
then maybe they're going to get interested. They're going to invest. They're going to just a bigger fan base. And that's really important. And it's really nice that, you know, they're taking this next step and, you know, just building this exposure and helping the women be seen across all of the country. For me, that's what it's like right now. I, I just have to hope that someone posts the match on YouTube. And unfortunately, I've, I've had three out of the four so far. I, I wasn't able to watch the full Fiorentina match. So, yeah, I mean, the more investment there is, and, and that's why I'm not necessarily opposed to, to the men's clubs being affiliated with the women's teams, because then there is that bigger source of funding and resources that can promote the game. Like you see a lot of these big clubs use the same Twitter account, for example, to promote both their men's and women's team, right? And it builds that exposure. All of those fans who follow the men now get exposed to the women. And there's a bit of a stigma there that that may never be eliminated, but I think it's still promoting the game. I think I think people need to get away from comparing the two leagues. I, I kind of just view them as, you know, yeah, they're playing the same sport, but they're different leagues and and in a lot of ways, the women's game is is a lot better than the men's game. Like one example I'll give you, and this is just me as an observer. I don't know if, if you feel differently, but I feel like there's far less of the diving and the rolling around and pretending to be in pain. <laughs> and I think the, the women in that sense are, are a lot tougher. It's yeah, there's a little bit of it, but usually they're hopping right back up. And that's something you see a lot when you watch, you know, the Euros or the World Cup, and especially all my friends at home are soccer players or ex-soccer players. And it's something that always comes up. It's like, this would never happen in a women's game. You know, you watch the Olympics and these girls are getting hit left and right and they're right back up. And it's it's such a big difference. And you just wonder, but why can't we just, get, you know, this part of the game makes it less pleasing to watch sometimes because you're like you're just it's now it's acting, you know, just get up. And of course, it's important, you know, if you're in front of the box or because there are players who, you know, get hit from the box and won't get the the foul. But, you know, I think for women, it's kind of the complete opposite. Um, we had a situation this weekend where, you know, someone, one of our players got hit. I think it, was, it might have been right outside of the box or it was borderline in the box. And she didn't go down. And so the ref, you know, kind of gave an advantage. But it's like, in that situation, you need to be like the men and you need to go down because that was a clear foul. But because, you know, the women try to stay on their feet, you know, more, I would say. Um, sometimes you don't get these fouls because you're like, well, maybe it wasn't that bad of a hit, but it really was a foul. Yeah, I know exactly which play you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it was in the second half. I want to say it was Colombo on the left left wing. She kind of cut in, got fouled. But to your point, you know, it might have been better. Even if it was outside of the area, you get a free kick and you can run a set piece and, you know, who knows? I I think that's part. the referees are partly the reason for that. But Anyways, it's good to see the women's game is growing. Hopefully we can, through my little podcast, I can bring more attention to it and it'll grow just, even if it's one more viewer, I mean, I still consider that a success. Absolutely, it makes a huge difference, you know, just getting to more and more people to know and just be aware. And a lot of people aren't aware of all these issues in the women's game. Yeah, absolutely. Kelly, that's all we have time for today. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Really happy. It's my pleasure. So you can find Kelly on all the usual social media platforms. Your Twitter handle is at Kelly Cavado on Instagram. It's Kelly Cavado underscore. And I think also Kelly Cavado on Facebook. That will do for this bonus episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and give us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forts and Napoli Pod. I'll be back with another episode soon, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre.
de tu sayado. Network.